0: We're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 14. Now, we've been walking through this Gospel of John for a few weeks, and so we're going to continue doing it today. But I just wanted to uh, mention something to you. You know, some of the best conversations I've ever had have been at the dinner table. I remember uh, I attribute uh, those who um, revealed Jesus to me were my grandparents, specifically my papal Papal Raymond. Him and my father died about three years ago. And uh, Papal Raymond was spent 40 years in the army and was kind of a little bit of a rough guy, my mom tells me, but then met Jesus and drastically changed. And he had an eighth grade education, uh, farm boy from Kentucky, he is the guy that wore blue jeans but no t-shirt at the dinner table, and uh, he loved fig newtons and skim milk, and I would often sit there and enjoy him teaching me things just so I can eat the fig newtons and drink milk. And it was over fig newtons and milk that he taught me about Jesus. He always had his Bible open and he always was pulled up to the table and he was reading over his Bible uh, school lesson for the next day. And I would walk by literally from the kitchen around to the corner down the hallway and he would always stop me and said, Brucey, can you sit down? Can I share my lesson with you? Sure, Papaw, and I saw the pig Newtons there in the milk, and I was sold. I was good. But I remember those moments because now that he's passed, those are the things that I remember most about him. At the dinner table, him sharing with me how Jesus was uh, teaching him, what Jesus was teaching him, and how Jesus was impacting his life. You know, I even think about oftentimes when Melissa and I, my wife, are able to get away on our date nights, some of the best date nights that we have is just going to a restaurant and we, when we're actually engaging in conversation, like deep and meaningful conversation. You know, here we have been having graduations and I just got back from um, a graduation yesterday uh, with uh, my best friend Eddie's son and we were gathered around a lunch celebrating Ethan's graduation. So food and Dinner and this table seems to be a place where people can really build relationships, where you can instill uh, important information, where you can teach people, and what you've learned and all sorts of those things. Well, last week, Pastor Marshall talked about something that was shared at this dinner table by Jesus, a new commandment to love others the way Jesus has loved us. Which is a very nuanced thing, because what Jesus was revealing, as Pastor Marshall pointed out last week, was not to just love people the way you want to love them, but love people specifically in a new way, the way Jesus has loved them, his disciples. But I want to, before we get into the passage that we're going to be reading from today, I just kind of want to call your attention to this scene that John gives us. In the Gospel of John, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John gives us the greatest detail of this, what we call the Last Supper with Jesus. Now imagine, if you will, what this dinner represents. It is the last final moments that Jesus has with those he loves, with those he chose, with those who are his disciples, those who are following after him. It's the last time they're all together in the same room and they're eating together. And so do you think that John spends two chapters in great detail about this supper to give those uh, something that they can grasp? What is it that Jesus is going to share with his disciples at this last meal that would be of great significance? Are they going to be learning something from Jesus? I think so. I mean, it's the last meal. It's an opportunity for Jesus to instill whatever wisdom or whatever thing that he wants to tell them he has left to do before he goes off. And, and accomplishes the very will of God, which is to save the world. That's what's happening at this Last Supper. So let me walk uh, you through just highlights of this dinner, the supper that Jesus has. So they're coming together, it's the Passover meal, so it's even more significant than just a regular meal. It's a Passover meal, and Jesus' disciples begin to show up. And when, as they show up, Jesus Uh, binds himself up with a towel, pours out some water from a basin, and begins washing their feet. And the disciples are first caught off guard by this. What's the big deal about Jesus washing my feet? He shouldn't be doing this. I should be washing his feet. But Jesus says something very telling, and I want you to hang on to this as we highlight and walk through this whole scene that John is writing and penning for us to read. Jesus says this, that if I don't do this, You have no part with me. That's what he tells Peter. When Peter's like, no, don't do this, he's like, no. I have to wash you so that you can have and be a part of me. Which means that Jesus is kind of setting the tone here that this supper is going to be extremely relational. And then after he washes the disciples' feet, he sits down and he says, do you realize what I've just done to you? Jesus says, you know, you call me teacher, you call me rabbi, you've been following me, and rightly so, but notice that I am your teacher, you are my students, but yet I wash your feet. And I do this to give you an example, because moving on, I want you to do and live by this example. I want you to wash each other's feet. The student is not greater than the master or the teacher, but nonetheless... If you are to go and be a student and teacher of others, you must do the exact same thing I have just done to you. I have marked you. I want you to be a part of me, and being a part of me means you're going to be serving others. So that's how he kicks off this dinner. And then we're introduced, John introduces some drama into the dinner. What better way to show that this is a real dinner than to introduce some drama, right? Are we all aware of some drama that can happen over dinner? those Thanksgiving meals, those Christmas dinners where uh, drama ensues, and it just makes it real, right? And that's what we have here, because Jesus alludes to the fact that somebody's there to betray him, that they're going to rise up their hill against him, and he reveals, well, actually, there's this great scene that John writes about, because Peter's like, "Uh, hey, John, He, he motions to John, we're told, and John leans back, and Peter's like, hey, man, Who is this? Who do you think this is? And so John leans back on the bosom of Jesus. Jesus, who is this? And Jesus says, it's the one that I dip this morsel and give this this morsel to. And so he dips it, gives it to Judas Iscariot. And John pins something very interesting that we'll come back to here in a second. But he says, at that moment, Satan entered Judas and Judas left and went into the dark. So now the drama's gone. Judas is gone. We know what he's getting ready to do because John tells us. And then Jesus begins to engage with his disciples once again. And he finally reveals to his disciples, hey, I'm not going to be with you any longer. I'm actually going away. I'm going to go to my father's house. And there he reveals to his disciples, but here's what I'm going to do in my father's house. I am going to prepare a place for you. And I'll prepare a place for you, but then I'll come again to you so that you can come and be where I am. So Jesus has this, uh, is revealing to his disciples, like, look, I'm leaving, I'm going, but I have a purpose for my going. And where I go, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. And I go and I prepare a place in heaven for you where my Father is. That's what he reveals to his disciples. On top of that, he gives us that new commandment that we looked last week. So he instills into his disciples this new thing that he wants them to do, a new commandment that he's already demonstrated and declared to them, love others the way I have loved you. We're going to look at that here a little bit more in detail in a moment. Then he says to them, I want you to believe in me the way you believe in my Father. And what's interesting here is that uh, there's, there's actually seven questions that the disciples engage. There's conversation back and forth in this, in this scene that John is writing, and there's seven questions. And one of the questions is asked by Philip, the disciple. And I kind of envision Philip, like, with his mouth full after Jesus says that, that he's going to his father and um, preparing a place and to believe in him the way they believe in his father because they're Jews, and so the Jews believe in God, the Father, Right, And they kind of fail to recognize that Jesus is the son. right? And so Jesus makes a profound thing. As Philip says, and makes the statement like, Oh, Jesus, show us the Father. That would be great. And he kind of slightly rebukes Philip. He says, Have have you not been listening to anything I've been telling you this whole time? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And what Jesus says is he's affirming his deity. He is demonstrating to them that you have believed in the Father. Now you need to believe in me because what is about to take place is going to be unbelievable. And I am calling you. You have been following me. You've been walking with me this whole time. And you need to believe in me as I go away from you. And then he begins to unpack all of what that means. What does it mean that Jesus is God? And he, and he reveals this to them. And then he says something very profound, and this is where we come directly into our passage today. And this is where I would like to kind of spend a few moments unpacking, because I believe if this is a very significant moment in the life between Jesus and his disciples, that this is the last meal they're going to share together, then what Jesus is going to say should be pretty important and significant. And I agree with you, it is. And so what does Jesus say in this last moment? Look at uh, chapter 14. Get out your Bibles here, because we need, we need to look at this and what he says. Chapter 14, we're going to actually start all the way in verse 18. Okay, and what you're going to notice here in the book of John is that Jesus is going to make a statement, then a disciple is going to ask for clarity of what he's talking about, and then Jesus is going to provide him an answer. So you've got a statement, you have a question from a disciple, and then you have Jesus providing an answer. So look at verse 18. So they already know that that, uh, he's going away, and now he reveals to to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I and you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So that's Jesus' statement. Jesus reveals something to his disciples. And so the disciple asked a question. Judas, not as scary, said to him, "Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world?" And Jesus said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but it's the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things... And bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You have heard that I have said to you, I go away, and I come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Verse 29. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. So let me unpack this real briefly for you. Jesus' last words and final discourse during dinner, the last conversation that he has with those he loves, his disciples, he reveals something very special to them. He says, I go away, but I want to come to you. That seems like a paradox to me. If there's ever an oxymoron like Jumbo Shrimp, that is one that you can use as an example. I go away, but I come to you. What does that mean? And he says, I am going to disclose myself to you, but I will not disclose myself to the world. And Judas, not as scared, asks, Jesus, what has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us, but not to the world? And so he offers a very lengthy response that I think is very telling, that I think has some very huge implications for all those who follow after Jesus. He says, the reason why I disclose myself to you and not to the world is because you, are, you love me and keep my word. And those who love me and keep my word, I will disclose myself to but those who do not love me and don't keep my, world, uh, keep my word are of the world. And I don't disclose myself to them, but I disclose myself to you. So immediately Jesus is doing two things. He's revealing who he discloses himself to and how he discloses himself. And like he's already established, if you love Jesus and follow after him, he will disclose himself to you. Pretty simple, straightforward. But how, Jesus? What do you mean? And this disclose word, I know, might be a little odd, but all it means is reveal, manifest, show. Disclose. How? How will you disclose yourself to me? And it reveals something I think has great implications for each and every person here. He says, how will I disclose myself? If you love me, you will be loved by the Father, the father will send the holy spirit as a helper and a guide and i will be with you and we will make our home in you do you guys get that the whole trinity the godhead the triune god the divine itself comes to rest inside of those who love jesus So Jesus is distinguishing between those who love him and those who don't. I will disclose myself to you. And how I will disclose myself? I will make a home in them. And I, I will bring the Father and the Spirit. We will all dwell in them. We will set up a home in them. Immediately, I have found, as I was studying and reading through this, that there are those moments, and I've even heard some other people talk about moments where they don't feel the presence of God, where they don't, where they feel all alone. I've heard people that say, like, I am the only believer in my family. So I am constantly surrounded by those who do not believe in Jesus, who do not love Jesus. And it's difficult for me to feel all alone. And what Jesus, who's getting ready to leave his disciples and to go on to do and accomplish the will of God, what he reveals to them is they are never alone. Because if you love me and follow after me, I will make a home in you. And you will always feel my presence. So the question becomes, if you're not feeling the presence of God, are you loving Jesus and following after him? Because that's what he distinguishes who I disclose myself, who I come and make a home inside are those that follow and love me. And that's what we got to say. If you want to feel up close and tight and personal and intimate with the Godhead, with God himself, you have to be loving and living and following after Jesus. That's a huge implication. That's what can get you through anything if you know that you're not alone enduring it. And that's what he's given to his disciples. Though I go, I'm not going to leave you alone. Doesn't he say this in verse 18? He kicks that off. I'm not going to leave you empty-handed, though I go to the Father. I don't leave you as orphans. You will be the children of God. That's huge. Not only does he say he discloses himself to those who love him and that he will disclose himself in this way that I will make a home. That's great. That's fine. That's dandy. But he doesn't do that there. Uh, That's not the only thing he does. There's also something that's a little um, not as obvious. But yet as you look back and you read this whole uh, dinner scene that John is giving, it becomes very evident. And that is that not only does Jesus disclose himself to those he loves, but he will also disclose himself through those who love him. What what I'm saying here is that, yes, Jesus says, I'm only going to disclose and come and make a home inside of those who love me, but you are going to go and disclose me to the world so that I might go and make a home in them. He invites his disciples to go out into the world and to do what he has done to them. And all of a sudden, we continue to see this theme during dinner that Jesus does and then tells his disciples to go and do likewise. I wash your feet, now wash each other's feet. I have loved you in this way, go and love others this way. I have now disclosed myself to you and not to the world so that you can go to the world and disclose them to me so that I might make my home in them. I am going to use you and to, and to live through you to disclose myself to the world. So he answers Judas even better by not just saying, like, I disclose myself to you and not to the world just because you guys love me, but I'm also going to use those who love me to disclose myself to the world, Judas. That's what I'm going to do. That's the game plan. And that's what we see. And so that's the implication. And that brings us to the conclusion of the, this dinner meal that they're, they're eating together. And Jesus says, okay, now let's get up and go. And Jesus begins to go and do what he was set to do by God, his Father, which was to die for the sins of the world and to bring salvation for all those who would call upon his name. Now, just like any detail, and we can go through scriptures, there's several lessons we can learn at dinner And those are the things here as I continue to wind down here and close that I think are applicable in our lives. As looking at this dinner scene between Jesus and his disciples, over and over again, Jesus keeps on telling them, now look, I'm telling you these things so that you can believe. So that when they happen, you will believe. I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you will believe. I'm telling you this so when it happens, you believe. And so now we're going to look at all the things that Jesus has told us so that we can be encouraged in believing in Jesus. Because if this, if everything that Jesus says to his disciples, he says, and a disciple is someone who loves Jesus and follows after him, then it also applies to our present day life as well. So there's a few things that we can learn from here, from this whole entire dinner scene. As we bring this dinner scene to a close and begin to move on through the the rest of the book of John, here, right here, let me just sum up some lessons from dinner that we can learn. And the first one is from Judas Iscariot. Listen to these verses, because I think they're very telling. And I think this could be very applicable for your life, because I believe some of you might be experiencing some of the things that are going on here. John chapter 12, 4 through 6, we learn something about Judas Iscariot. It says this, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intended to betray him, so Judas is intending to betray Jesus. That's his desire in his own heart. said, Said, why was this perfume not sold for three denarii and given to poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. So we're told here that not only does Judas have a desire to betray Jesus, he's also a thief, and he's stealing from Jesus' own ministry. In John chapter 13, verse 2, we're told during supper that the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas, to betray Jesus. Then we're also told a few verses later, in verse 27 in chapter 13, that that Satan entered into Judas, and then Jesus said to him, go and do, and do quickly. And you're like, Bruce, why are you pointing all this out? Because number one, what well, you can know about Judas, then you can also learn about how Jesus loves people. If Jesus discloses himself to those who love him, then you need to also consider how Jesus loved Judas in that moment. Knowing all these things. Jesus was privy to Judas's heart. And yet, he allowed Judas to continue in the ministry. He washed Judas's feet. Are you willing to love those who stab you in the back, to sell you out for cheap gain, or even those who would want to have you killed? Many of you want to feel the presence of God in your life, but the reason you probably aren't feeling that close to God is because you're not willing to love the way Jesus loves even his enemies. You're not willing to forgive those who have hurt you and has built up bitterness in your life. Many of us struggle with that bitterness. And that just comes from your unwillingness to forgive. You are not loving the way Jesus loves, which is his new commandment for us. And Jesus' lesson is this. Love like him and show love to even the Judases in your life. That's one lesson we learn from uh, Judas at this dinner scene. The other lesson is that uh, there is that as Jesus revealed that when you love and follow him, you invite the divine into your life and they make home and residency inside you. They host themselves in your life. But the opposite is also true. If you love your sin and not Jesus, if you love the things of this world and not Jesus, if you follow after the things of this world, and continue to walk in those ways, you are inviting the demonic into your life to influence you. I believe, and we can trace this out, and you can talk to me a little bit more about the theology behind this, but spiritual warfare, life isn't neutral. You're either following after and loving Jesus, or you're of the world. Jesus says, if you love me and follow me, the divine will come and rest in you. But if you're after the world, you are opening up to yourself and inviting to yourself The world of the demonic that loves to feast upon sin and seeks to destroy you. You're entangled by them. You open doors for them to come and influence your mind. And you begin to believe their lies. They're great deceivers and they would have you destroy your life. And that's a great lesson that we get because, see, we're told, yes, he's a thief. Yes, this was already his desires. His desires were not for Jesus. And then we're told that Satan was able to come into him and influence him to betray Jesus even more and and bring it to fruition. You can either invite the divine into your life or you invite the demonic into your life. And I could testify to you that this is real. It's not only in the scriptures, but it's a lot of us that we're not even aware. A lot of us continue to walk in the and the ways of the world continue to walk in sin and in our flesh, and we're just opening the door. We have a sign that says, here am I, come and influence me. Come and host inside me. Come and influence me. And it's how you portray yourself. It's how you live your life. If sin be chains, right, that you are enslaved to, you are either going to invite somebody that will take your chains of sin and strangle you, or you're going to invite somebody into your life that will set you free from your bondage of sin and give you life. You're either hosted by the divine or hosting the demonic. And that's a lesson we can learn from Judas Iscariot. Another lesson we can learn is the spirit Jesus says, but I will give you a helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. Later, John, in another uh, letter that he writes in 1 John 4, 13, says this, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. What John is revealing to us is the belief that if you love and live in Jesus, then he gives you his spirit. The spirit should testify to you that you have a relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul in his epistles and all his letters, he talks about this relationship with the spirit while still being in the flesh. And Paul says something that I think is very helpful for the life of the believer, and that is you need to walk according to the spirit and not of the flesh. But discerning how to walk by the Spirit and not of the flesh isn't always obvious. In some ways it's obvious. And one way it's obvious is that we know that the products and the produce of the fruits of the Spirit are if you're walking in the Spirit, it should be producing in your life and in the lives of others love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. If those things are being accomplished in your life, you can probably say and attribute it to the spirit living in you. But he says, if you're walking according to the flesh, then all the opposite things are happening. Envy, strife, malice, hate, dissension, division, sexual immorality, all these other things in the world. That's how you know you're walking by the flesh. Those might be discernible. Those might be obvious. But what if you encounter a situation where it's not so obvious and you don't know? It's not easily discernible on how to walk by the Spirit, and not the flesh. How do I know that this thing, that I, this decision I need to make, or in this situation, I want to walk by the, the Spirit, and I don't want to walk by the flesh, but how are you able to do that? And this is what requires faith for you to understand. I don't think that God is ever going to be offended by you trying to live by the Spirit, but then get it wrong and realize, no, that was actually just my own desire that I didn't even know I had. Right? These are decisions that we might want to seek the will of God, and we want to be in the will of God, but we don't know if it is of the will of God. And, and Paul doesn't really help us much by saying, walk by the Spirit, not of the flesh. So how do we discern that? And there's something that has been uh, profound in my life over the last few years that has been revealed to me. And, I, and I, I was talking to this gentleman, and I said, you know, sometimes I just can't discern if it is the spirit or if it's just my own sinful nature or if it's my own flesh that is pushing me towards this direction. It has the appearance of good, but I really don't know if it's of the spirit or if it's my own intuition. I really don't know. And he says, what's your motive, Bruce? And I said, well, I, I just really want to seek the, the, the Lord's will. And he says, well, then make a decision. And maybe you'll find out that it was of the flesh. But haven't you just learned now what the Spirit doesn't want you to do? Haven't you just learned now how to distinguish the voice of the flesh a little bit more? Well, that's true. But maybe you're right, Bruce. Maybe it was the Spirit prompting you. Haven't you just learned then what the voice and the prompting of the Spirit feels like a little bit more? Because, Bruce, out of all the decisions you make, you make a hundred decisions... Let's say you get six, let's do ten, ten decisions. You get six decisions right, but you get four wrong. You are 60% following and walking in the Spirit, 4% walking in your flesh, 40% walking in your flesh. The whole goal of the Christian life is to increase that percentage, right? To walk more according to the Spirit than of the flesh, And it is a a process that develops in every believer. And I think those are lessons that we can learn because Jesus says you will have the Spirit and you need to wield it in your life to produce all of the fruits that come with living by the Spirit. And we must learn how to discern the promptings of the Spirit more than the promptings of the flesh to help navigate us through life. So we looked at a lesson from Judas Iscariot. We looked at a lesson from the Spirit. And then lastly, I think there's a lesson about heaven and earth here. And I think this is amazing. Let me remind you what verses 2 and 3 in chapter 14 say. Jesus says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not tell you. For I go to prepare a place for you in heaven. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may also be. A little bit later on in John, a couple pages, a couple chapters, he says, Jesus says this, As the Father sent me into the world, I am sending you, his disciples, into the world. Jesus tells us exactly what he is going away to accomplish. That he's going to go and prepare for us a place in his father's house. Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what he will be doing while he's away from us. Preparing a home for us to dwell together in heaven. However, there is something else that Jesus reveals. Jesus informs us that those who love him and follow him, the Godhead will disclose themselves to them and make their home in them. Later, Jesus states that as he he was sent into the world to accomplish the will of the Father in bringing salvation to the world, so Jesus is now sending his disciples into the world to accomplish his will, which is to disclose Jesus himself to the world so that God will be at home with those who love him on earth. What Jesus is preparing in heaven is a home for his people. What we, his people, are preparing is a home on earth for Jesus. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we disclose Jesus to others, this prayer is being fulfilled. Jesus in heaven is making a home for us and we are making a home for for him here on earth. Earth begins to image what is happening in heaven, which literally means that we are invited and get to participate in bringing a little heaven to earth by disclosing Jesus so that he can make their home, his home inside those who love him. I hope I painted that picture well, but for us to bring a little bit of heaven that Jesus is currently at now preparing a place for you to come and live and dwell in the presence of God, he also charges us and said, now you go disclose me so that I can come home and prepare people to be my home on earth and therefore accomplishing what Jesus teaches us how to pray. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So there's a lot of lessons that we can learn, and I, I just pointed out three. I had more, but I don't want to keep you here all day. I would pray and I hope and I would encourage you to go back and look at this dinner scene because it is significant. You want to know one of the last things that Jesus wants his disciples to know about him and what is going to be accomplished? Go back and to dinner time, and see what Jesus tells his disciples. I bet you'll find even the questions that you have in your mind after reading that are the same ones that the disciples asked Jesus during dinner. What do you mean? What about this? What about this? And then Jesus responds and gives them the answers that they need. The good news is you can be feeling like this world is a little bit hellish not impressive. You struggle. You find challenges everywhere. But if you want a little piece of heaven, the presence of God, where we can dwell with him and live among him in your life, love and follow Jesus. And if you see other people that you love and want to come to know Jesus, disclose Jesus to them. Because maybe they're experiencing hell on earth. And you can bring a little piece of heaven, the divine, into their life. And why shall life change? So the question here is, if you're not a believer, Jesus discloses himself to you through his word and what has just been proclaimed today, that he is God and he comes to save the world. If you want to be free from your sin and your bondage, believe in him, follow after him, fall in love with him, and he will be with you. If you're already a believer, like the disciples, sit down at this dinner table with Jesus and learn from him how you can continue to grow in your faith, how you continue to grow in discerning how to walk by the Spirit that he's given you as a mark to say, see, we are connected. That's what we need to do. Let's pray.